values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here this morning. Appreciate you spending some time. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, we'd love for you to do that. It's simple to do, and you'll never miss a minute of the show again. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. You can get the most money selling your home for cash by going to highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. Lindsey Graham is uh, sponsoring a bill and is urging the Biden administration to um, to send MIGs the MiG fighter jets, the deal with Poland to the Ukrainian fighters. So I want you to hear a little bit of what Senator Graham is doing. I am urging the Biden administration to reconsider sending the MiGs as well as additional air defense capability. I believe there's an overwhelming bipartisan support for that idea. There is bipartisan support for sending a package that includes fighter jets and air defense systems to the Ukraine immediately so that we can have a Ukrainian no-fly zone. I think what happened here is I think Putin threatened the Biden administration. If you send the jets, it'd be an escalation. And he folded like a cheap suit. Now, we don't know. I don't know that that's true. Um, We are seeing a slower response from the president than some people would like. And this is where the conversation is happening about what is the right amount of support from the American people. I've asked this question and I've not heard from the White House and we've not heard from the White House. I should say it's not like I have a direct connection to the White House. That we've not heard a reasoning behind this. We know that we are sending um, anti-aircraft weapons. We are sending a bunch of anti-armor weapons. We are sending uh, machine guns. We are sending rifles. We are sending grenade launchers. We are sending 20 million rounds of ammunition. So we are aiding the Ukrainians in their fight. I don't know how this is considered an escalation over and above what we're already doing. So uh, the president was asked what it will take for us to send MIGs, send this to Ukraine. Mr. President, what will it take for you to send the Polish MIGs that President Zelensky is asking for? I'm not going to comment on that right now. I'm not going to comment on any other than what I told you. So the president won't comment, and I don't understand why that is. I want you to hear Jen Psaki. She is the White House press secretary. Same topic. Has the president reconsidered his stance at all at this point? No, because our military makes assessments, uh, which they put out that assessment last week, and I would just echo that one part of the assessment uh, is based on what equipment is effective in fighting this war, anti-armor and air defense systems. They are effectively defending the country. Wouldn't fighter jets be more effective? And that's, I think, from a common sense point of view. And we've had people on that say absolutely. Uh, We had a former general from the Arizona National Guard on with us, Mick McGuire, who had actually trained Ukrainian fighters in the past and uh, a former fighter pilot himself and talking about just this very topic. Um, Vladimir Putin issues a serious new threat against his own people, saying that they need to cleanse Russia of traitors, of people that are, are, are opposing this government. And, uh, you know, we, we look at that and we think, man, that is that's scary and that's evil. You know, we're called domestic terrorists when we disagree with a school board in America. I mean, let's be careful. Nobody's threatening the lives of people. 
when we talk about, and I don't want to get too far off track because I want to stay on Ukraine, but when we talk in this country about the freedom of speech and how it's taken away from you, you don't think that somebody ever goes to the podium, whether they're an elected official like a president or a press secretary, they go to the podium and they say, we're not going to let you say that because we don't want you to say that. We're going to tell you what to think. It's never how it's sold to anybody. It wasn't sold to the communists that way. It certainly wasn't sold to the Russians that, that way. It's all in the interest of fairness and honesty and truth. The Russian people have been told there's not even a war. They've been told that this whole thing is made up in this anti-Russia thing. There are protesters that are outside of that country trying to speak to people inside of the country and say, you're wrong. What you're hearing from the Russian government is wrong. So in this country, when you stand up and you disagree, you're being told you're killing people because of your stance on COVID-19. That if you uh, are in favor of uh, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin as a treatment, that you are killing people. Therefore, we must silence you, not because you don't have the freedom of speech, but because that kills people. And you can't kill people in this country. And, you know, it's like Shouting, uh, it's like shouting fire in a crowded theater. You're causing people to injure themselves or die, so you have to be quiet. We marginalize, we call people tinfoil hat wearers, we marginalize and we call them crazy and conspiracy theorists, and we do all these things to people. I disagree with a lot of what's said, but I never, ever, ever, ever would say to somebody, you're not allowed to say it. You can't threaten somebody's life. You can't make it. I mean, all that stuff makes sense to us. But as far as your opinion on treatments for a virus, as far as your opinions on curriculum in a public school, you're not dangerous. You just disagree. So I, I, I understand there is a far cry from saying we are going to cleanse our society of people that are detractors and call them traitors. But where there's similarity is the marginalizing. These people are traitors. Well, in our country, they're called conspiracy theorists. And there are some out there that are conspiracy theorists, but we've always worked around them. We've always allowed people to speak their mind, and we've used the truth as the guide. The Ukrainian corn harvest may plunge by a third, according to some estimates, which means we are going to see a shortage of obviously one of the cornerstones of food in this country and a lot of the byproducts of corn. And it could be a some serious damage to some world economies. That is something that people are watching and they're watching very, very closely. And when you look at this overall, um, and what's happened, the bombing of a theater that was housing children. Um, this is becoming a worldwide crisis, and we are seeing. And I would, I would, I would hope that we are watching. That you are watching how the Chinese are responding. You go back a couple of weeks, and the Chinese made the, the emphatic statement that there is an inseparable and no limits relationship between the Russians and the Chinese. That was their statement. We are united. We have a partnership that is has no restraints and no restricted. We're an unrestricted partner with the people of Russia. Then um, the, the White House asked them to stay out of it and not arm the Russian people. They said, we're neutral. We're not getting involved in this. We're staying out of it. And then yesterday, there was a report out of China where some of the leaders in China were complimenting the resolve and the strength and the courage of the Ukrainian people. 
So I don't know that there is going to be this massive shift in support from China um, away from Russia. I don't know that that's the case at all. But I don't know that the Chinese want to get involved in this. They certainly don't want to get into the war of trade. They don't want to get into the war of sanctions with the rest of the world. They have a very powerful economy. But they also are dealing with with problems from COVID and trying to get out of that mess as well. And so they don't want to see a disruption in the growing of their economy. And when they see what Ukraine is standing up and doing, they are now pushing against the insurgents uh, from Russia and trying to push them out of Kiev. They're not just defending Kiev. They are trying to push the Russians out. And the Chinese have recognized and said they're courageous. So I would watch the Chinese very closely because a lot of what Russia is able to do is because of the backing and support from China. When that goes away, they're going to lose a lot. And that's when you may see a lot more negotiations from Vladimir Putin if you're ever going to see it. What we're going to do in just a moment is uh, we're going to talk about early voting. The governor made a comment about this lawsuit brought about by his political party. And what were his comments about early voting? We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I want to remind you, coming up just after 10 o'clock, <clears throat> we are going to speak with Dr. Richard Carmona. We are going to speak with him about the COVID-19 numbers here in Arizona and where they are as they only update them now once a week. Going to talk with him with where Arizona is and the direction he sees this heading, what the trends are saying to the Arizona Department of Health Services. Uh, and he is the chief advisor on COVID-19 to Governor Ducey. So it should be interesting to hear what he has to say about that. Uh, Governor Ducey criticized the AZGOP on um, uh, about eliminating early voting. So there is a lawsuit that has been proposed by a lawyer with the Arizona Republican Party that says the only legal voting is in-person voting on Election Day in in Arizona. That's the only thing our Constitution protects. And so they are filing a lawsuit to that effect. And I'll just read it from one of their lawyers wrote in this petition. In-person voting at the polls on a fixed date, election day, is the only constitutional manner of voting in Arizona. Republicans have been supporting and using mail-in ballots for a very long time. In Maricopa County in Arizona, uh, they do it the way it's supposed to be done. And there is a verification process. And I know there are people with a lot of questions about mail-in voting. And, and here's how rumors get started. Because I think that, I don't think they're started on purpose many times. I don't think that misinformation is intended. But someone sees a number and it says, do you know how many thousands of um, mail-in ballots had no postmark? I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, what's going on here? And then someone that has knowledge of the elections says, well, the reason that is, is because people got a mail in ballot, got an early ballot because they wanted to be able to sit at their kitchen table. They wanted to reasonably look over the issues on the ballot and the candidates on the ballot, and they wanted to take their time in voting. And that's what they did. And then when they voted, instead of sticking it in the mailbox, they took it down to an early voting center and they dropped it off. That's why. There wasn't a postmark because it was hand delivered. It wasn't mailed. And then a rational person says, oh, all right, that makes sense. And we move on. 
But a lot of these things that have been perpetuated and the stuff we heard in testimony about signatures and scribbles and what do we do? And um, it's led people to believe that our election system is flawed. Now, I will tell you, and I mean this with all sincerity, tables could have been turned and may be turned in the next election cycle. Meaning if. If Donald Trump had won Arizona, there is a very good chance that the Democratic Party in Arizona would have been screaming foul just like they did in 2016 when Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. When Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton, the Republicans laughed in the faces of Democrats and said, you're just a sore loser. And they said, no, we're not. We're going to investigate. Nancy Pelosi, two separate committees in the House of Representatives spent over three years investigating collusion and working with the with the uh, the Russians. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, just last week alluded to the fact that said the Russians hacked our elections. Her words, not mine. Hillary Clinton wrote a book called What Happened, which I thought was funny because it actually should have had a question mark because she doesn't know either. But she claims that the Russians stole the election from her, that Russian influence, which they have been trying to do for decades, not only to our elections, but other elections around the world, finally worked in 2016. And that's why she lost. She's still saying it. And Republicans are still laughing at her for saying it. And most independents. Then you got 2020, and Arizona did an audit. I was in favor of an audit. I was in favor of an audit because both sides, the Democrats in 16 and the Republicans in 20, had doubts about the validity of the election process. So I said, then let's do an audit. That'd be great. Lay it out. And then a company was hired that was ill-prepared, and it wasn't their line of work. And they may, again, I want to be very clear, the Cyber Ninjas may have been a phenomenal company in their lane. They had never done an audit, especially one of this scale of an election. So I'm going to put it to you in terms that make sense. If you have a heart condition, I have high blood pressure, and I have a phenomenal doctor. He tried to treat it with just basic medication. He wasn't able. He sent me to the best specialist in that area, the best cardiologist that he knew so that I could get the best care possible. And if I went to a a doctor and that doctor said, you know, I've never really done this before, but let's give it a shot. I think I'm qualified. I'd have moved on. And so here in Arizona, we have taken advantage of, I don't, I am someone that likes to go to the polls. Now that may change for me in the future, I don't know. But in my life right now, I go to the polls on election day, I stand in line and I fill out my ballot. That's just my choice. But so many Republicans have been using mail-in voting for a long time. Just because you lose one election doesn't mean it was stolen from you. And saying this election was stolen and continuing these lawsuits, it's going to work against you. Because what's going to happen now is if, and I'm going to go as far as to say when, the Republicans make sweeping gains in the House of Representatives and the United States Senate, you're going to have Democrats doing exactly what Republicans did in 2020. They're going to do it again. And here in the state of Arizona, you're going to alienate so many independent voters that you so desperately need, especially in Maricopa County. They're the number one voter demographic now. You're going to alienate those voters by taking away their mail-in ballots or at least trying to. You look like a sore loser. And perception is reality to people. And I really, I desperately hope 
that they put this behind them and focus on this election cycle of 2022. It's necessary. Going to shift gears to something else local in just a moment. Um, They are working on a flat tax revision, and we'll describe why this is so important. After Prop 208 failed, where we are, and a ballot initiative, which I think is hysterically funny, that we are got another ballot initiative in front of us that everybody needs to hear about. I promise you, this is something as important to anything when it comes to your taxes in the state of Arizona. It's coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I appreciate you spending some time with the show. The weather's getting warmer. KTAR and Fulton Homes want to remind you that two seconds is too long to take your eyes off kids around water. For life-saving water safety tips, enter to win swim lessons from the YMCA. You can simply text the word SWIM to 620-620. We've been talking about some local issues. There's a lot going on in the legislature that's going to have a long-term effects on the people of Arizona. Um, Bear with me for just a moment. I am not a fan of our propositional form of government. If you've heard me talk about this before, I apologize for repeating myself. But for anybody that's not heard me talk about this, we have a propositional form of government in the state of Arizona, which sounds great to a lot of people. If you get enough signatures for an issue, you can circumvent the process within the state legislature and get something on the ballot. And what it will do is not only get it as law in the state of Arizona, it alters our Constitution to the point that the legislature can't change it unless they get a two-thirds majority in order to change anything that would restrict what you got passed. Now, that sounds good to a lot of people. You can go around, but what it is is a raw democracy, which our founding fathers said was the worst form of government. But what it also does is make changes that can't be changed back. And even when we just had this happen with this specific issue, when it comes to education spending, There was $1.2 billion that was allocated for education spending that was in the bank accounts of the school districts that they were not allowed to spend because there was something passed back in the early 80s, 40 years ago, a ballot proposition that limited the amount of money that could be spent on education. And it would violate the Constitution if the school district spent that money. So the legislature had to go back and work around this and get a two-thirds majority to override it and pass it. Now, if if they couldn't get to two-thirds, that $1.2 billion could not have been spent by educators. So this is a horrible way to do business. So now... There was uh, this flat tax was passed. Um, there was tax, big sweeping tax cuts that were passed. This is a, a story that was written by uh, Howie Fisher over at uh, the Capital Times, and it's interesting. Um, but in order to act this new plan, legislators would first need to repeal the 2021 measure. And the reason why this, what's the way they write about this, is that it is tax cuts for the rich. Well, it says. Um, The goal, however, is the same, a flat tax rate, and that means the wealthiest, by virtue of paying the highest taxes, would get the biggest relief. Is that a problem? If you're paying the lion's share of the taxes, why wouldn't you get the lion's share of tax relief? It's fascinating to me that the people that are in favor of Prop 208, which failed twice, um, when I mean by failed is it was thrown out by the Supreme Court twice in Arizona. 
if it failed twice and the taxes were specifically on wealthy people and small businesses, which is why it was wiped out, because it went after small businesses, why is it okay to pass things by the voters that in unfairly target wealthy people, but then when you give relief to wealthy people, all of a sudden, that's a horrible thing to do. So on its face, I just thought that was a hysterical way to write that. But what this would do is, is there is a ballot initiative that will be voted on in November that has to get by the voters. And if the voters get rid of what the legislature did, then what the, this ballot initiative in November goes into effect and wipes that out. But here's the downside of it. It does what I said it was going to do before. It alters the Arizona state constitution, which means the tax changes that would be made by this ballot proposition cannot be changed unless you get a two-thirds majority of the legislature. Do you think the average Arizona voter understands? Um, and I'm not calling anybody dumb. They're just they're busy and they're not they're not looking at the unintended consequences, which is exactly why we have a representative form of government instead of a propositional form of government at the federal level. Because we hire legislators that are supposed to look at the unintended consequences. And admittedly, they get it wrong sometimes, but then they can go in and they can fix it. This can't be fixed without a two-thirds majority. And I want you to think, as an average voter, unless you are someone that's far on the left and is happy with higher taxes on wealthy people and you think that's the way to govern, but in general, would you think that you want something that has to do with taxing the Arizona voters, the Arizona citizens, Arizona workers, be written in stone that would take a two-thirds majority to alter? The answer is that's absurd. That is, you are shooting yourself in the foot by doing that. We have watched the ability to cut taxes in Arizona because of the immense growth that we have had in Arizona. We have been able to widen the tax base. Wages have gone up considerably. Costs of goods and services have gone up considerably. And the byproduct of that for cities and for counties and for the state of Arizona is because people are paying more for goods and services. They're paying more in sales taxes. And we're watching the coffers fill up faster at the government level. So why, because of those high sales taxes, why shouldn't we have the ability at the legislative level, whether it's at the city, this case it's the state, to alter the way we tax people's income because they're paying so much more for sales taxes? So now they're going to go in and they're going to fix this tax that was uh, the tax that was done in 2021. So here's where the rub is. Here's where the anger comes in. People on the other side of the aisle are saying, you are trying to circumvent the will of the voter. No, we're not. And that's what the the, the people on the right are saying. No, we're not. We're trying to fix this. Because if they wipe out the existing 2021 law that was passed and they fix it with this, that ballot initiative that's got to be voted on in November goes away and you got to go out and get another 180,000 signatures or whatever it is to get it back on the ballot. And I'm telling you whether I agree with things and I don't agree with many of them of the outcomes of these ballot initiatives. Ballot initiatives are a raw democracy and the wrong way to govern. Absolutely the wrong way to govern. And I was saying this when there was a supermajority of Republican voters in this state when Arizona was dark, 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 dark red. We hire legislators to solve problems. They don't always get it right. 
the first time, maybe not always the second time, but the ability to go back and fix things, that it doesn't alter our Constitution where 40 years from now we're looking at this and saying it is train wrecking our budgets. It is train wrecking our ability to grow. It is it is absolutely one of the scariest things I've seen us do. Um, I think it's a horrible way to govern, and I hope we end it at some point. And I hope they get this thing fixed. What we're going to do in a moment is talk about the border. There is so much happening, but we're going to talk about a Trump-era rule that is setting to expire that have even some people in the Biden administration saying this is going to be a disaster if this expires. We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Biden officials, these are people within the Biden administration. These are people that are in the immigration, whether it's Homeland Security, um, you know, people that are on the border are concerned about this Title 42. Now, Title 42 has been used over a million times to rapidly expel illegal immigrants at the southern border without hearing asylum claims. But the Trump era order wasn't set to be permanent, permanent and senior Biden officials are preparing for its end. Department of Homeland Security intelligence estimates have that 25,000 illegal immigrants already are waiting in Mexican shelters just south of the border for Title 42 to end. So they believe that when Title 42 ends and they are this ability of the administration to immediately expel people without hearing their case, when it ends, we are going to see an even bigger uprising of people crossing the border illegally. So here's a quote from a a White House uh, spokesperson. This is uh, Vendon Patel told Fox News. Of course, the administration is doing our due diligence to prepare for potential changes at the border. That is good government in action. As always, in the case of this administration, is working every day to restore order, fairness, and humanity to our immigration system and bring it into the 21st century. Um, where I disagree with that statement is fairness and humanity. There is absolutely nothing humane about what's happening. Couple of uh, of stories. U.S. Mexico team up to dismantle human smuggling organization in Nogales, Mexico. Um, this is dismantling of a prolific transnational human smuggling organization operating at the Arizona Sonoran border, according to the Department of Justice. There's nothing humane about what's happening at the border. Disney employees, three Disney employees in uh, Polk County, Florida, where uh, Kissimmee and St. Cloud, Orlando, that area where um, Disney World is, they had something called Operation March Sadness 2 began on March 8th, and it resulted in 108 arrests of people preying on what they believe to be children, three of them Disney employees, one of them uh, sending and asking for, and I don't know if any were received, asking for graphic pictures from what they believe to be a 14-year-old girl. So... That obviously isn't on the border, but those are the things that are happening on the border. The human trafficking element of what we're discussing here 
the human trafficking element of the despicable things that happen on the border. I mentioned this yesterday because I was at an event with Sheriff Lamb from Pinal County. And uh, Pinal County is not directly on the U.S.-Mexico border, but they border the tribal land, the Tohana Odom Nation, that borders and actually goes into Mexico. So many of the illegal immigrants are crossing tribal land, and then the first uh, U.S. border they get to is Pinal County. If you go there, it's 70-something miles, almost 80 miles north of the physical Mexican border. There are signs in the desert that were put up there by the Bureau of Land Management, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management. And if you're new to Arizona or if you've never been down there, they still exist. They've been up there for decades. And it says, and I'm paraphrasing, that you should not pick up abandoned packages, approach abandoned vehicles, or pick up hitchhikers because this is a known drug corridor. So the sheriff of Pinal County is very familiar with dealing with the problems connected to illegal immigration. One of them is drugs. Fentanyl is the number one killer of people 18 to 45 years old. We know that those either are being um, uh, assembled. Fentanyl is either being made in China and shipped here or the ingredients are being shipped to Mexico. And then that fentanyl is brought across our border. And we are seeing enough to kill every American. It is a small amount that could kill you in fentanyl. And the other part of this and the tragedy of it is what is happening to the to the human existence on the border. Um, And this is I heard this story directly from the sheriff at an event. Um, They captured a woman that was in the country illegally. And when they searched her belongings, she had a package of pills and they inquired what the pills were. And she said that the expectation was that she was going to be raped multiple times on the journey. So those were morning after pills so that she could take one of those pills every time she was raped. I want you to let that sink in, that that is the expectation of women and girls that are being brought across the border by the drug cartels. If that isn't one of the most shameful examples of of abuse of a human being, I don't know what is. And our border policies are contributing to it because we're not stopping it. We're not stopping the incentive for people to take that risk. We're not stopping the incentive for 25,000 people to be sheltered in Mexico waiting for Title 42 to end. There is nothing humane about this treatment. Just because, just because you don't see CNN or MSNBC on the border with their cameras doesn't mean that the problem doesn't exist. The cartels are controlling our border. Now, here's another story that's just of interest to me. The Cuban people are frantic to migrate to the U.S. because their economy is faltering and they have new hurdles. We normalized, when I say we, our country under the, the Obama administration, normalized relations with the Cuban government without having any changes by the Cuban government and how they treated their people. They are still oppressed. They still live in horrible conditions. The government controls their speech, controls the media, controls the food. They still have ration books for food in that country. And we took away the wet foot, dry foot rule. We don't give them political asylum because they come from a communist country. They are being deported at an alarming rate, but other people are allowed to stay. And now they're making it worse because of their economy in Cuba, and we do nothing to give relief. We have no consistency in our immigration policy in this country whatsoever. It is immensely unfair.
What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock is Dr. Richard Carmona is going to join me. Former Surgeon General of the United States. He is also the Chief Advisor on COVID-19 to the Governor of Arizona. And we're going to talk to him about the pandemic, endemic, whatever you want to call it. What direction is Arizona going in based on the number trends? Also, a new variant is out there that is in Arizona. Should we be concerned? So all of those things we'll be talking with Dr. Carmona about next.